That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey, it's Crystal Knight and welcome back to the show brought to you by Newsweek. This week and next week, I will be doing a two-part series about what is happening with the state of Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis has signed into legislation bills that are severely restrictive on the education front and the immigration front. This week, I'm talking with a leader across the state of Florida who is deeply concerned about the anti-DEI and anti-CRT bills that have just been signed into law. And what does it mean for people who work at universities, for people who are currently matriculating at universities and people who are thinking about moving into the state of Florida and thinking about the education landscape? These are important things that we have to discuss and democracy is under attack in the state. But education is under attack, particularly because of the narrative. And that is what the governor is attempting to try and control and change through codified legislation. It's important that we have these conversations because what happens in one state absolutely affects others. This week's guest is Jasmine Bernie Clark, and she is the executive director of Equal Ground Florida. Welcome to the show, Jasmine. Hi, Crystal. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Busy times in Florida, considering all the things that your governor has just signed into law. And that's absolutely what I want to talk about with you this week about these new education bills that are not only affecting students, but they're affecting college level students as well in academia. And before we get into the bills, could you just share with us a little bit about Equal Ground and what you're doing across the state of Florida? Certainly. So Equal Ground Education Fund was founded in May of 2019. And that's important because we were founded shortly after the passage of the Rights Restoration Amendment here in the state of Florida in 2018, which provided 1.8 million returning citizens or formerly incarcerated people their automatic right to vote. But in the spring of that year, our legislative session came together and decided that before returning citizens could actually access the ballot box, they would be hit with a poll tax in the form of being required to pay their fees, fines, and restitution. And it was then that struck for us, who in the state is working to protect Black and Brown folks, but specifically Black Floridians from the attacks on our voting rights in the state of Florida? And what we saw shortly after that was the election of Governor DeSantis that same year in 2018. And as of this year, he's introduced three voter suppression, suppression bills over his time as governor. And our organization has been working to register, mobilize, educate, and in some cases litigate um, against some of these laws that disproportionately impact African-Americans and Black folks in the state of Florida. So that really is the work that we do day in and day out uh, with an amazing team of operatives and leaders in the state of Florida. 
Wow. So you're definitely very busy right now, considering that your governor, Ron DeSantis, has just signed in SB 266, which is the ending DEI, which for those who don't know what DEI is, that's diversity, equity and inclusion and CRT spending in higher education. And for those who don't know, CRT is critical race theory. And just as a, a background, critical race theory really played a big role um, in the midterm elections. It's been talked about as soon as the 2020 election was over, um, you know, folks were really going into school boards, going into education systems, attempting to dispel what they thought was racist based teaching, you know, making sure that children were not learning about the history of this country, which has been rooted in racism, which has problems systemically across our country for histories and even present day. But anyways, Governor DeSantis has now signed this bill, which is saying that universities cannot spend money on diversity, equity and inclusion they cannot teach CRT, which we already know it wasn't taught in K through 12 education. It was a college level law level course. But now he has codified it into law that universities cannot use funding. They cannot teach this in schools. And so I, I really want to know from you, Jasmine, what does this mean not only for universities across the state of Florida, but specifically HBCU universities and colleges across the state of Florida. You're an HBCU graduate. I'm an HBCU graduate. So diversity is important, right? Like that's part of the founding and the fabric of the HBCU culture. And to have a governor sign a bill like this into law, it's a hit for HBCU. So I just want you to talk about what does this mean at large, not only for the HBCUs in the, in the state, but also just for education in general. Certainly. So what we are seeing is actually a continuation and a pattern of this governor attacking people of color since his um, election to the state of Florida. This particular bill is just another version of his elimination of the stories of black and brown people, our contributions to this country and the attacks that we have experienced over his, you know, the history of our existence. So this bill didn't start here. It, it really started at the beginning of his term. And it started in our K through 12 schools, as you said, with him trying to ban CRT, which wasn't even a course that was created for children. But those are coded words and mm -hmm. language used to target our communities, but also signal to his base that your child won't have to hear about or learn about um, the history of our country and the way that everyone has experienced it, only through the eyes and the lens that we choose to tell it. So the impacts of this particular bill on colleges and universities, and we'll start with public because it's important to know that public schools versus private institutions are funded completely different mm -hmm. um, in the state of Florida, and therefore they do operate under different rules, but everyone is impacted by this. There are even conservative institutions in this state who have pushed back on this because it also impacts how they tell stories about what history looks like and right. the language that they choose to use as well. But what this does is it requires the state to withhold funding from institutions if they choose to create programming that centers diversity, equity, and inclusion. And wow. the other thing to note about this is that that sheer phrase is so broad, it is so unspecific, and it leaves 
institutions vulnerable, but it also leaves the decision up to them, the discretion to them to be able to offer or not offer specific programming. And that's important because if you're allowing all of the state institutions and the private institutions to openly interpret the law, then they can make decisions on a whim. They can potentially eliminate programming that protects students on these college campuses, keeps them safe, allows them to learn about who they are, um, allows them to explore what different opportunities are made available to them. But what the bill also does is it impacts tenured professors at well, these wow. college campuses. How so? so? A lot okay. of people... A lot of people don't know, but prior to um, this bill, tenure professors were really considered a protected class on college campuses. Mm -hmm. They had the ability to go against the school's ideology or uh, framework and challenge certain decisions that a school makes without their jobs being threatened. Now, every five years, a tenure professor has to go through a tenure review. And if this institution determines that in your review, your beliefs or a project or um, a public statement does not align with the institution based on the board's discretion. And again, at public institutions, these boards are um, selected by the governor. Right. So he's choosing individuals who he knows have a very specific ideology. And so if you're a tenure professor who goes against that and you aren't in alignment, then your job is now on the line. You could be dismissed from a university, whereas that was not the case prior to this particular bill. Um, and then I will finally say that, you know, this bill also impacts HBCUs. We only have one public HBCU in the state of Florida and we have three private institutions. And although those private institutions don't receive nearly as much as the public institution does, they still do receive some sort of support and the state could choose to withhold that. Now the state is saying that things like black student unions and um, fraternities and sororities, which I'm a member of a sorority, won't be impacted. But we started this legislative session with a very clear idea and that was and the very clear notion that we hear what you say that's right but we see what you do that's right and so the discretion is left up to the schools to make a decision about how they want to interpret the law we cannot fully believe that these programs are going to be protected on any college campus whether it's public or private because this law that allows for them to do whatever it is that they choose to do um, and, the, and the state gives them the full protection and covering to do it you know jasmine one of the things that stuck out to me in your answer is really around narrative. That's really what this is about for me. It centers around how do we, or how do I, as the governor, I have this power over entire state. How can I change the narrative about history and the way that it's taught in the public universities, even in private universities, as you just outlined, who have the discretion to change curriculum, change courses, affect teachers' ability and livelihood to teach. This is something that they've elected to do as their profession. And really, this is a changing of the narrative. And it is gross overreach. It is gross overreach in that it is beyond a school board or a secretary of education for the state. This is literally just a power grab and a power grab around the narrative about what is truth, what's truth in this country, what's truth and which truth and whose truth is being taught in Florida schools and universities. And that's the thing that I think every single American should be alarmed about 
if it can happen in Florida, this can happen anywhere. And that's the danger of a governor like Ron DeSantis, who has decided that he is taking education, the fight for education to the next level. And I'm curious, how are people responding in the state? How are constituents, voters responding to this education mess that's happening in front of our eyes? You know, the response to this bill and the plethora of other bills that were filed this year that directly impact um, BIPOC communities and marginalized groups in this state has been the same. Folks are sounding the alarm on the disproportional impacts. People are calling and drawing attention to this in the state of Florida, so much so that we actually aren't seeing a lot of discussion about the fact that bills like this are being passed in other states across this nation Absolutely. right now. Mm-hmm. Florida seems to be at the epicenter of it because of the potential future of our governor in this state. But we are not, and this governor is not on an island of his own. There is a clear coordination. There is clear connectivity that is happening across this nation with other governments. And this is also the impact of what a supermajority looks like. Absolutely. As well. Talk about we it. We learned about a supermajority in Tennessee yeah. and what happened there. Yeah. So this is also what happens when you have a supermajority. And not only do you have a supermajority, you also have a governor who. Mm-hmm whose party leads every single branch of government in this state, in addition to the supermajority. Mm-hmm. And so folks say, well, why don't you litigate? Why don't you sue? Well, if the state of Florida, if the governor is selecting all of the Supreme Court justices in the state right. and they operate with the same ideology that diversity, equity, inclusion is not something we should be teaching, it makes it very difficult mm-hmm. to bring such litigation like this. But I do know that it's necessary to still Um, put forward effort that creates a case for why this needs to be litigated. But again, we are not on an island of our own. Folks are standing up. They're calling out. There are even outside institutions who are figuring out how they create book lists and summer schools that Mm -hmm. are dedicated to making sure that these particular courses and books that have been banned are still accessible to kids K through higher education in Florida. Yeah, that's that's good. I mean, I you mentioned Tennessee, as you know, I'm from Tennessee and we're in a supermajority state as well. And the amount of bills that these supermajority governments come up with that have absolutely nothing to do with bettering the lives of the individuals that they serve is just beyond me. And I can't for the life of me imagine how education is a threat. How is education such a threat? that you go out of your way to create legislation that literally changes the narrative that, you know, tells a group of people that they cannot, you know, have ownership of their own history and learn the truth about it and share about it. And, you know, you brought up, you brought up fraternities and sororities and how the governor has said that, you know, those are programs and institutions that won't be affected But if it's starting right here, who's to say that they won't eliminate this eventually in the state of Florida on colleges and universities? And then where does it go from there? Right. Because if if we're we're starting right here with just these massive bills, they're broad in reach about what can be taught and what cannot be taught. And you're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, particularly if you are a minority student on a majority campus, where do you go to feel home or to feel ownership about your identity 
if not for the clubs that exist on these universities. And there's they're particularly under threat by a bill like this. How do students who are listening reason with what is happening right now? You know, um, it is increasingly difficult to to determine what actually will happen on college campuses when students return this fall. Um, what I know is that this bill specifically states it prohibits state and federal fund usage for programs or campus activity that advocate for diversity, equity, inclusion, engages in political and social activism, or provides preferential treatment or special benefits based on certain criteria. And all of that remains still unclear on how it affects student groups. And so I can imagine that organizations in Florida are trying to work with students on campus to figure out how they get answers to the questions. But the other part about the introduction of bills like this is that implementation has not been thought all the way through. You know, there are bills that are being introduced, they are quickly being introduced, and when you ask questions about actual implementation, the, the cost that this will um, impact schools, because I can imagine students no longer wanting to come to Florida. Right. I can also imagine it being difficult for professors who want to even continue to teach in the state of Florida. Schools are going to be hit and impacted by this. And I think they are the ones who have a responsibility to solve this issue, not the students who are paying money to be on these college campuses. But I do think that students have a right to ask very hard and serious questions right. about what the school's plans are for implementation and for protection of them on those college campuses if they choose to engage in programs that could be interpreted or misinterpreted as diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. I mean, so let's let's also talk about HB 931, which is ending the woke litmus test. So this is something this is a bill that prohibits public institutions um, from requiring faculty and staff in support of DEI and other. And, and this is according to the language ideological agendas before admittance or hiring. How does that again, when you talk about. Um, enrollment, you talk about teacher quality, you talk about teachers being able to be attracted to the state of Florida. How will this impact the amount of money that's coming in? Because you got to recruit, you know, good teachers and teachers and and departments, they want to recruit top students from across the country. Right. You know, the hiring process for any school or any job should have a process by which you understand and know what a person's positions are on how they treat people. Specifically, if you were in college campuses where you are shaping the minds of future leaders, we want to know that there are leaders who are qualified to be able to do that, who have life and world experiences that can help contribute to the growth of these young folks. And if we don't know what it is that we are getting, then we can only imagine what it is that is going to be taught in those classes. Right. And this is essentially a plan to wipe out an entire generation or generations of people who, like you said earlier, will have a different narrative about how and what actually happened in this country and who was actually responsible for it. We've seen in the news really over the last probably three to six months where many of the opponents against CRT or even DEI, they're not able to clearly articulate their opposition. And I'm thinking of a woman who was on a um, television show. She wrote a book about anti-wokeness and could not define wokeness. But she was running for school board and she was a, if I'm not mistaken, a Moms for Liberty candidate. 
And a local president from the NAACP stood up and asked her to really explain what her disdain was for DEI, explain the fear, and she could not explain it. And so I bring those two instances up because a lot of the people who are against diversity, equity, inclusion, critical race theory, they cannot define it. They don't even they wouldn't know it if it hit them in the face, quite honestly. But they're so against it because it's a talking point. It's a narrative that's been defined by one political party in this country to divide and stoke fear in Americans across this country. And so, you know, when you go back and think about this bill and it talks about hiring practices, people who have worldly lens, people who understand that diversity is great for education because it challenges the status quo of the teacher or it just challenges the thinkers who are in the room. If you're wiping that away, what kind of culture are you trying to create in the state of Florida, are you trying to create this monolithic, you know, group think culture where, where everyone thinks and speaks on the same notes? You know what I mean? And so that's part of the challenge that I see with these types of bills is that they're not only dangerous for students right now, but they're dangerous culturally when people are going back out into the state talking and living and going about their day to day lives with this skewed sense of narrative, the skewed sense of their reality. I think about, um, as you were talking um, earlier this year, as you know, the college board was putting out or revising their sort of curriculum and our governor interfered in that process by, you know, choosing to refuse to teach black history based on whatever his specific list of requirements were. And uh, came back a little bit after that and made a recommendation about the fact that he would actually rather put together a curriculum that was more suited for Florida. And some of the titles of those curriculum were like black conservatism. Right. And so he is wiping away again what has what is factual and creating his own indoctrination and his own ideology, mm-hmm. but calling it something else calling Mm -hmm. it, you know, different language. Mm -hmm. And his, again, he is signaling to his base while targeting specific communities and and, and targeting them in a way that is going to be incredibly harmful. And it is going to be incredibly difficult for uh, groups in in our communities to recover from. And I think that's where the community responsibility um, really comes into play here. um, Because Everybody comes to Florida. You are either coming here to vacation in Miami or to go to Disney or to the theme parks. And there are ways for folks to be able to call out these sort of situations because diversity, equity, inclusion isn't just showing up as a prohibition in our college campuses, but the governor is also attempting to make businesses sign pledges that they will also not teach or require diversity, equity, inclusion trainings on jobs. They are, it's now an optional course. So it is festering into every layer of our state Mm -hmm. and people have a responsibility to be able to um, name that, call it out and um, be clear about it, but also be prepared to take matters into your own hands and prepare your own students, your own kids and your own community um, and, and educate them about what is what is happening, not only now, but what has previously happened in our communities, um, because it is going to be on us. Uh, and if not, we are going to lose, like I said, a generation um, of folks who will be lost to what the historical 
um, context is of, of our nature. I'd be remiss, Jasmine, if I didn't bring up that Governor DeSantis is also teetering a presidential run as well. And so if this is what he's capable of doing, he's already showing us his hand in Florida. He could potentially be the nominee. Now, I still feel like he is untested. And obviously, he's out on a tour, you know, talking to a number of different Americans across a number of different states. But how dangerous is he, not only for the state of Florida, but if he actually succeeds? And let's just say he becomes the Republican nominee for president. What should we expect him to duplicate that he's already done in Florida or Would he potentially bring forth any kind of new legislation nationwide like this attack on education? Because this is the basic level. This is where it begins and it just goes up from here. Let's compare him to the other candidate in the field. Sure. You have one candidate that is Trump who just chooses to break laws and ask for forgiveness later. But you have DeSantis who changes the laws so that there is not a penalty later. And for me, that makes it a bit more dangerous. Both candidates are harmful for our community. But when you are actively changing laws so that you can skirt around certain decisions, that makes it incredibly difficult to digest, um, incredibly difficult to understand that if Florida is the model, then the rest of the nation can expect to be seated in hate with a governor who plans to take this model and replicate it across the nation. What I am hopeful about though, is that other folks across the nation will see this for what it is um, and won't be faced with three years of voter suppression bills that we have been faced with and can turn out in a way that potentially stops him from becoming the president of the United States. I talk about those voter suppression bills quite a bit because that honestly and truly is how he has been able to maintain this leadership in the state. If you are purging 4.9 million people from the vote by mail rolls and requiring them to sign up every election cycle, you have now eliminated a huge base of voters, which 8.4% of Black folks voted at a higher rate using vote by mail ballots in 2020 than any previous election. So I think that it is important for people to know and understand what's happening, paying attention in the state of Florida, but also being prepared when it hits your doorstep, when he makes it to your state, when he is talking about these policies, he's not going to get better as his profile grows. It actually gets worse. Right. Um, his base gets larger. Right. His coffers get larger. Right. So we've got to be prepared to be as defensive against any candidate who does not carry the values that we think are necessary for protecting our communities against policies like this. You know, I think that you really captured what people should be thinking about if they encounter him on the stump in their respective states as he's out exploring his run or once he, you know, officially declares. What else should folks just know about what is happening with these education bills um, as as we bring this interview to a close? What would you like to leave with our listeners so that they are armed with the right knowledge and the right information as they go back? Or maybe if they're talking to someone that's in the school or they're talking to someone that's thinking about moving there or that, that's thinking about accepting a job in the state of Florida. What is the type of information that people need to be armed with? I would warn anybody coming to Florida or planning to travel to Florida to be very prepared 
to be faced with the reality that this is not a safe state, um, whether it comes to education, it comes to um, constitutional carry or permitless carry here in the state of Florida. There are bills that were passed this year that make it incredibly difficult for anybody to want to come here and travel or attend conferences or do any um, of the like. And so what I would say for listeners is, again, as he prepares for whatever his ultimate decision is, he will be in your communities. He will be coming um, to your states. He will be talking about this agenda. And as this agenda grows, you know what the signs are. You know who is being targeted in this plan and you know who is not being targeted, but instead being supported and uplifted in this process. And be prepared in 2024 not to relax and rest on our laurels. We have got to show up in ways that we have never shown up before. And we talk about how every election is more critical than the last. We do. Consider this the most consequential. We are seeing a state that has is, is full of sunshine, but it is dim right now. Mm. We are in a very, very dark place right now. And it is incredibly difficult for organizers like myself and the, the folks on my team and coalition partners to organize right now without the fear of harm. We are thinking about the safety of folks out in these communities as we fight back against this type of oppression. But we are looking at the rest of the nation to save us. So if you want to do something, prepare yourselves to show up in the next election, because that's the only way we will see ourselves out of this darkness. So we're depending on you all to do that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And again, this has been Jasmine Bernie Clark, Executive Director of Equal Ground Florida. Thank you so much for sharing your fight with us. And we would love to have you back just to talk about updates about these bills and how they're affecting voters across the state. So thank you so much, Jasmine. Really appreciate your time this week. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Crystal Night Show brought to you by Newsweek. The best way you can support us is to give your five-star review on Apple iTunes and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to The Crystal Night Show. After being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. It's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The parting shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.